going to get this going, and I'm going to try to control this tonight on my iPad. Let's see if this works. And I think I messed it up, Tim. Can you reset it up for me? Somehow, I don't know what I did. All right. If you have your Bibles, while well, he's trying to get that, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Luke 24 and 45, and you can stay seated, because I'm going to do, do some teaching tonight. Um, but I think this is important. Luke 24, 45, and 46. I, actually, I'm going to read through 49. Just tell me, Tim, if I need to do anything on my side. As it's looking for you. You're going to take my device? Hold on. I think I got it. There we go. The problem if you take my device is it's my notes. <laughs> or part of them. Okay. So here it is on the scripture, on the screen here. So we're going to read it. Uh, then, this is speaking of Jesus. Then he opened up their understanding. This is the disciples. How many want their understanding to be opened? I mean... Is anybody here that knows everything? <laughs> Can you teach me after service, brother? Oh, you got Google. Well, even Google doesn't know everything. Okay. Uh, then, then he opened up their understanding that they might understand what? The scriptures. How many know that the truth uh, of all of the universe, of eternity, and the truth of the word of God and the words of God are in the Bible? I mean, I think we have a foundation. Now, we live in a world that doesn't believe that. But I believe in this room here, I hope, if any of you don't believe that, um, then I'd like to speak with you after service, but uh, I, want, I want to convince you that the Word of God is uh, the final foundation of truth that we're all going to stand on. And so he opened up their understanding of the Scriptures. Now, they only had the Old Testament at this time. New Testament wasn't written yet, but the principle stands. Uh, then he said, Unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooves Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This is after Christ's uh, crucifixion. He's speaking this. And that, everyone say repentance. And remission of sin. Everyone say remission of sins. Should be preached in, everyone say his name. Among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is speaking in the third person here, but he's speaking of himself. And so repentance, remission of sins should be preached in his name. And it's going to be in all nations, but it's going to start in Jerusalem. And he looked at his disciples and he said, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I will send the promise of my father. Everyone say the promise of my father. Upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. I want to talk to you tonight, and I want to teach a little bit tonight about the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. This is so important, especially in the day and age that we live in. Now, I was not raised apostolic, Pentecostal. In fact, I knew nobody that was Pentecostal or apostolic growing up. My family was Catholic. I had a line of uh, Catholic descendants uh, as long as I, as I know. I, I remember walking down. Uh, my grandma had a long hallway with pictures uh, hanging on the hallway, and I remember walking down the hallway and seeing nuns, uh, their, their picture hanging on the wall, and somehow I was related to these 
nuns. And I was practically so Catholic that I should have probably been born in the Vatican, but I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I remember growing up in my family, I mean, I guess people can, um, can see a calling on somebody, even if they don't fully understand it. But they would tell me, and I've had, I had more than one family member tell me this in the most random times, that you're going to be a priest someday. You're going to be a priest someday. And so this is my heritage. This is where I uh, was a part of. This is what I grew up believing. Um, and this is what I was taught. I knew a lot of priests, talked to a lot of priests, sat under priests. Did my first confession. Did, um, uh, I, you know, I was just like, well, I can't confess something really bad. I got to think of something that's minor, you know. Um, those confession things, you know, you just be thankful. You don't have to do that. It's, it's rough going. Uh, did my first communion there, and all. So I, I want to set all this up that because listen, everyone I know is Catholic. And before I got in the Apostolic Church, my grandmother, who was the, probably the greatest um, living example of a Christian um, character in my life growing up, um, she was Catholic to the bone. In fact, I remember one time being she went to mass every morning. No exaggeration, every morning. And I remember one time there was a dispute about something, and she didn't go get the Bible. She went and got the Catholic catechism to solve uh, whatever the dispute was about. So this is how Catholic to the bone she is. And so I say all that to pre as a precursor of what I'm going to get into tonight, because, listen, my job is not to judge anyone's relationship with God. In fact, I respect people's relationship with God. My grandmother had a relationship with God. Uh, there's, there's people in my family that were Catholic that had a relationship with God. There are people of all denominations that have a relationship with God. I'm not disputing that, discounting that in any way, shape, or form. Um, I am thankful to be apostolic Pentecostal, though. I believe there's greater revelation of the Scriptures, not a private interpretation. And I believe the apostolic Pentecostal movement is built on the fullness of the Reformation. And I don't have time to go all in all of that. And so, I believe that what the Scripture... I, first of all, I believe the Bible is alive. Do you believe that? Not that it changes, not that kind, not like a living constitution. <laughs> I believe it's alive in this sense that what you read about, you can experience. It's not just dead history of yesterday like you read in a history book. It did happen yesterday, but it also can happen today. Um, because that's what the Bible is. It's alive. So if we put faith to his promises, guess what we see? We see the promises come to pass in our life. And that's what I'm going to talk about, the promise of the Father. And so um, the book of Acts opens up. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the uh, life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Messiah, he was God in the flesh, and he was born in Bethlehem, and that's why we have Christmas every year. But the book of Acts is an interesting book. It's the very next book after the Gospels. It is the history of the church. It's called Acts because it's, um, some would say it's the Acts of the Apostles, and it is. But I would say more than that, it's the Acts of the Holy Ghost in the lives of men and women. And it's, a, it's the Acts of the Holy Ghost upon the earth in the first generation. But it's the birth of the church, and um, this is where it all starts. But as I read in um, well, I want to I read in Jeremiah. It says, but 
because I think this reflects our day and age. Jeremiah lived in a, human nature doesn't change, and I believe this is the day and age we live in. Um, but these people are stubborn, have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God. Their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown, grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limits. And I would say this is the mentality of probably most of our country. Hopefully it's not the mentality of you. I want to read one more. In Isaiah 3 and 8, it says, Judah is falling. Their words and their deeds are against the Lord. Uh, defying his glorious presence. They look on their face. The look on their faces testify against them. They prayed their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Now these were prophecies about Israel, and yet I see it reflecting in our country in this day and hour and in this very moment that we live in. And so in that reflection, I would say, I believe most Americans feel the darkness of this hour. And so we have seen, um, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to cutting themselves, they turn to suicide. They turn to all of these things that are so um, dark and bleak and hopelessness. But the Bible says this, if I shut the heavens and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land and if I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. I want to tell you that's a promise even for America. And this is the only answer. My friends, you might love Biden or you might love Trump, but I'm going to tell you this. None of them are going to save us from the mess we're in. The only one that, and I want good leadership and I want the righteous leadership. I'm not against that. Vote for those that are righteous, but I'm not getting political. I'm going to tell you this. The only hope for this country is revival. The only hope for this country is that the people of America humble themselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from their wicked ways. And the Bible says that God will hear them and he'll forgive them. And this is, this is an attitude that we need. This is an attitude that I need. I need this in my life. I need to have an attitude that comes before God seeking him, seeking his face, Turning from evil, turning from sin, because it better start in the house of the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me that the Lord um, starts his great Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. And the only thing, to summarize it, I would say this, it's the attitude that you have to have to come to God. God is very interested in your attitude. What's your attitude when you come into the house of God? You know, some people come in, they don't, they don't care one bit about God. They, they don't have one ounce of fiber of hunger in their heart. They just are coming for whatever reason. Their family makes them come, or it's out of duty, or whatever. It makes them feel good, whatever. But they're not hungry for God. And, and, you know, I would rather, this is just me. Maybe you feel differently. I don't think you do because you come to this church. But um, I would rather be in a 
in a church that's small, a handful of people, but everyone is hungry for Jesus, than to be among thousands and thousands that are lukewarm, that are uninterested, that they are just carrying on about their life, not wanting to really, truly live for God. I'm not interested in that. I've been in those mega churches. I've been in cathedrals. I've been in all those places. But I'm going to tell you, give me an apostolic house and a Pentecostal altar any day where I can feel the power of God fall, where I can lift my hands and feel the Holy Ghost move. I want the presence of God. I'm not interested in fame or glory or what man's interested in. After all, Jesus went to a stable. It's not about the externals. It's about the heart. I want to seek God. I want to know him. I want apostolic worship saying they turn from their wicked ways and get a hold of God in this hour. Amen. So I would say it's time to seek the face of God. My friend, I'm going to say in your life, it's time to seek the face of God. I'm glad you're, you come to church here, but that's not enough, my friends. How's, how's your relationship with God? How's your prayer life? Is there something inside you that desires to know more and more of God? Because anyone can come to a service and just sit on their hands, but it takes somebody that's special, that has a hungry heart, that wants to lift those hands to God and say, God, I surrender everything to you. Everything. I want you. I need you. I love you, oh God. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 2 and 13. You who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So precious, so true. I was so far from God. Um, I heard this quote, and I feel like it's still fitting even in our hour today. But after 2011, you guys remember September 11th? Some of you might have been too young. It's hard to believe it was 21 years ago. Planes hit the Twin Towers, and that next weekend, it was on a Tuesday. That next weekend, the churches were full all across America. And someone made this quote, and I thought it was so true. It said, churches filled up in the aftermath of September 11, 2001. However, most treated it more like a funeral rather than a time of repentance and turning to the Lord. You know, I think that's how people pretty much treat God. Not only in 2001, but today. When they go through a hard time, they come to the house of God because they need God to answer a prayer. When something tragic happens, they come to the house of God out of respect but I'm going to tell you, God's not really interested in just blessing you or just getting your respect. God's interested in getting your heart. That's all he really wants. His passion was for you. He went to a cross because he loved you. He, want, he wants you uh, to want him. He will force nobody to live for him. In fact, when they all walked away, he didn't try to stop any of them. He just looked at Peter and said, are you going to go also? I'm not forcing you to come to me. It's the prodigal son. It's the father. Every morning he went out and looked, but he wasn't going to go grab that prodigal son and make him come home because he won't force anyone to live for him. But do you want to? Do you love me? Do you want to be in in the father's house? Do you want to spend eternity with me? This is what the heart has to decide. And this is what America must decide. I'm telling you, we're at an hour where we better be all in or all out. As Brother Doherty uh, so great, we'll preach on Sunday morning, and I was watching the live stream. We're either going to be all in or we're going to be all out. We're going to be full of God or full of the devil. I'm telling you, this lukewarm stuff that we sat on the fence for years and years and decades, uh, it's coming to an end. You're going to have to decide what side you're on. Amen. 
That Philippians 2 and 12 says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice how he ends this, though. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that sounds like a whole lot more important than just flippantly shaking a preacher's hand or saying, oh yeah, I believe in Christ. Fear and trembling. That means you better spend some time in prayer with the Lord. You better spend some time in the Word of God saying, what does the Bible teach about salvation? You see, my friend, I'm not interested in judging anyone's relationship with God. You're going to stand before God, and every person that's not in this church is going to stand before God someday, and you're going to give account for your own life, and it's going to be you and God. And it's going to be a loving, merciful Father, but it's going to be a real honest judgment that we're not going to be able to just, uh, you know, sugarcoat <laughs> like a salesman to get ourselves in heaven. We're going to be honestly judged for our life and our heart and what we've done. So I'm not interested in judging, but I am interested in what the Bible says about salvation. Because if the Bible gives us a deeper understanding, then I think we need to grab a hold of that. And I think we need to hold on to it. And I think we need to uh, not let it grow cold in our life. Maybe you knew this 50 years ago, but it better be fresh. And it better be something that is so precious to you even in this day and hour that we live in. And so that brings me to Luke 24 and 45. He opened their understanding. He said, the, the Old Testament said that Christ had to suffer rise from the dead on the third day. And then he made this prophetic point. Repentance and remission of sins. I'm going to tell you what repentance is. Repentance is asking God for forgiveness and saying this. I was walking this way. I was doing my own thing. I was doing sin. I was pretty much just going after my own desires, right? But when God got a hold of me, repentance means an about face. I'm going to do God's way. I'm going to do not my desires, his desires. It's a turning around. It's a military term. Remission of sins is when God takes your sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Uh, old preacher would say, threw them in the sea of forgetfulness. But you won't find that term in the Bible. I look for hours one day. It's not in there. But as far as the east is from the west, you can't measure it. There's no east pole and north pole or west pole. Uh, because uh, God wants you to know. That there's no, there's no extent of how far I'm getting rid of them in your life. And so repentance and remission of sins in his name. That's the name that's above every name. In fact, the book of Ephesians says there's no other name in heaven or earth whereby men must be saved. Actually, I believe that's in Acts. But nevertheless, the name of Jesus. And he says, you're witnesses of all these things. You've seen them. And he said, I am going to send the promise of my father upon you. So go to or stay here in the city of Jerusalem. Don't leave. Until you be endued from a power from on high. Now, it's very clear, the book of Acts. We don't have time to read all the passages. The book of Acts, Acts 1. It makes it clear the promise of the Father is the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. And so in the Old Testament, I want to I kind of give you an understanding. Uh, the Spirit of God would become upon prophets for a moment. Or they would come upon David as he wrote his psalms or would come upon maybe even a king or a person in the situation. And for that moment, they would operate under the influence of the Spirit of God. But then the Spirit of God would rise 
and they would, it would depart from them and they would be without uh, the Spirit of God. And, and we see this in, in Saul's life. He was anointed to be king. But when his time of kingship was done, the Spirit of God left him because it went upon that same anointing was to be upon David's life. Now that anointing was specifically for the king, but there was other anointings when they wrote the words of God, when they wrote the Psalms, when they wrote the Proverbs. I mean, look at Solomon, for example. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And yet we know by the end of his life that he was worshiping false gods, gods of Moloch. He even, he even built statues and uh, temples to these false gods. So uh, it wasn't as if he, he walked in the anointing his whole life. No, no. He, the anointing came upon him. He was moved by the Spirit of God. He wrote those things and then it lifted. Okay, the New Testament is different. And this is the, trans- this is the dispensation of grace. And this is what Christ died for. The, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is not just a temporary move where God comes upon you and touches you and then he leaves. Now, it still happens in this day and hour. People... Uh, still can feel God. The Spirit of God can come upon them like it did in the Old Testament. They could be moved for that moment. The Spirit of God could de- depart. But the difference that's going to happen in the book of Acts is that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out upon believers and God is never going to leave them. Never. Now that is a powerful promise. Now if you were living in this day and age before this dispensation, you would be thinking, man, this is incredible. This is what I want. And so this is how the book of Acts starts. And so they, they start in a prayer meeting because there's always, you're not going to seek God outside of a prayer meeting. There's always has to be seeking God in prayer. And so they started in a prayer meeting seven to ten days. We don't know exactly how much, but we know it was at least seven or at the most ten. And then we're going to pick it up in Acts 2 and 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost was 50 days. It was the law or the feast of the harvest. When it was fully come, 50 days after Passover, they were all in one accord in one place. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Everyone say each of them. There was 120 there. There wasn't one excluded. It wasn't 119. It wasn't 110. It wasn't 105. It was all of them. It was every one of them. It was each of them. Cloven tongues of fire set upon them. And verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this is the birth of the church. I want you to look at your neighbor and say this is how the Christian church was born. Okay, tell, tell, tell your neighbor also, pastor's not making this up. This is, this is really, this is what happened. <laughs> Something interesting happened in, in uh, the late, it was, it was 1900, it was in December. And it was in Topeka, Kansas. There was a man named Charles Parham. He had a, uh, I got a slide here, let me go to it. It's out of order, but I won't, let me put it up. Um, just for a moment, he, um, he had a little Bible school and it was an old Victorian mansion. You see it in the background and his Bible school had about 40 people in it. And at the end of his, his, uh, his school, 
they had about a week until the New Year's, a week or so. He gave his students an assignment, and he said this, I want you to go to the Bible, and only the Bible. Don't use, even though there's great men that have written about the Bible, don't use their writings, don't use concordance, just go straight from the Bible. And I want you to look at this thing called the promise of the Father, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like John said, you shall be uh, baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, John said. And I want you to look in Scripture, all four of you, independently. And through prayer and study, I want you to come to the conclusion, what was the biblical evidence for receiving the Spirit of God in the New Testament church? So this is your assignment. Go, every one of you. How does the Bible teach? What's the evidence? And so they went, and they studied. Now, hold on to that story, and if I get time, I'll get back to it. Is, is there a clock? Anybody, please? No? Okay. I've got more than I could possibly teach, but that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through a lot of this, though. At the end of Acts chapter 2, um, there's a great revival. or Before the revival, there's a great stirring. There's, we know at least 3,000 people. There are probably more. This is immediately after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in verse 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, and Peter gets up and preaches. It's the first message of the church. And I know it doesn't seem very long, but it adds at the end, and with many other words did he exhort and say. That gives me a lot of comfort. I like that scripture. Um, <laughs> but um, he said, he's, he prophesies, or he, he talks about the prophecy of the book of Joel. He says, this is that. This is exactly what Joel prophesied. Goes into David, and then he goes into Christ, and he said, this same Christ who you crucified, verse 36, is your God and your Christ. Well, the Jews understood they had one God, and they understood that Christ was their Messiah. Have you ever heard something, and when you got a revelation of it, it just pricked you to your heart? Have you ever had a bad assumption, and when you found the truth out, it just hit you so deep? Because you realize you were looking at the situation all wrong. Now imagine that times a thousand when you realize maybe you were in the crowd that day crying, crucify him, crucify us, give us Barabbas. Can you imagine if that was you? In one way, in a metaphor sense, we all were there in the crowd. But there was people that were actually there that were Shouting, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And they just get this revelation that the one they were screaming crucify was the very one they've been waiting for for thousands of years in the entire Old Testament, their entire nation, the Messiah's coming. And they get this revelation that they killed their Messiah. I mean, I don't even know how you put that in words, the emotion that they might have felt. And they looked at the apostles that were standing there all the... 11, and then the replacement one, Judas, of course, had hung himself. And Peter stands up because Peter was given the kings in Matthew 16. And he's going to unlock that door of salvation because we need it, don't we? And he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as 
many as the Lord our God shall call. My friend, this is powerful because this is the very thing that we read in Luke chapter 24. Repentance, remission of sins, the promise of the Father. And so Peter stood up and he is speaking the exact thing that, that, that Peter, uh, that Jesus had told them to preach in the, in the book of Luke. And in fact, Luke wrote the book of Acts. So it's almost a continuation. Luke recorded what Jesus said and then he records what Peter preached and they're one and the same. My friend, the reason why this is the, the plan of salvation because it's the gospel. It's the death and it's the burial and it's the resurrection in our life. Repentance signifies and symbolizes death. You know, so many people want to just uh, live the way they want to live and then just add Jesus to their life, but keep going the same direction. But that's not repentance. And I'm not sure that, as James said, that kind of faith is going to save anyone. No, I'm not anyone's judge. You judge yourself with fear and trembling. But I do, I, I am very, um, I am very, um, what's the word, uh, dogmatic in a sense that I trust the word of God. And we need to really hold on to it. And so we've got to die of ourselves. What I used to want to do, what I, uh, the sinful nature I had, I've got to put it on an altar. I've got to die to the old self. I can't live uh, as Matt Garwick as I lived before I came to Christ. I can't just add him to my life. He's not just something we add like a token or a symbol. No, no. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my everything. I bow down to Him. I worship Him. I give Him glory and praise out of my mouth from my lips and out of my heart. And so I have to fall before Him and let all of my old desires of sin be broken and be literally crucified as a living sacrifice before my God. God. Amen. And then I get up. I'm not perfect. But I get up and I try to follow his path, his way, his desires. And there's a wrestling match about that a lot of times, isn't there? And we're going to talk more about that wrestling match on Sunday, probably, unless the Lord changed my message. And then it says, be baptized everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So this is, this is the burial. So we have a baptismal tank behind us and the reason why we believe in full immer immersion, not only was it the way Jesus was baptized in, in the Gospels, but it's burial. It's symbolic for burying the old person. I, it, it, you make a covenant with God, and that's a whole other message. In Colossians, you're making a covenant with God in baptism, but you're also burying the old man. And so when I went down in the name of Jesus, I buried that old man. I buried him. And I came up a new creature in Christ. With new desires and new heart. And, and I'm going to tell you, you can't, you can't bury someone by sprinkling them. You don't just find, you know, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never been to one where they just had the casket there and they just sprinkled a little bit of dirt on it and said, we're done. Never. You bury them. You immerse them. Coming up transformed for the remission of sins. You put on the name of Jesus. And then it's a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he said, this promise is not just for you, but it's for your children and to all that are far. As may the Lord God, our God shall call, shall, <laughs> easy for you to say. As may as the Lord our God shall call. Now, is the Lord still calling people today? Of course he is. How many in this house the Lord called you? You were in sin, you were in darkness, but the Lord called you out of it. 
So that means the promise is for you. It's for all of us. That means it's not just for one generation. It's not just for one time period. It's for the dispensation. Until the Lord comes back for his church, this promise of the Father is for you and for you and for you and for me and for my children and for my neighbor and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Now there's this little Bible study here. I'm going to just scratch the surface, but if anyone's interested in it, it's called Into His Marvelous Light. We do need to order some more. It's a great little Bible study. You can go through it yourself. I promise you, this little Bible study uh, really did a work in my life when I was 17. But I just want to point out all the places in Scripture where the Holy Ghost was poured out. Because I think it's important to go through Scripture and look at it and understand um, what the Christian church was born on. Because I'm going to tell you, my friend, the American Christian church is not the church in the book of Acts. And we are so engulfed by our generation and by our experiences and by our Western mindset. And shall I say, by our spoiled American ways. Now I'm American, so I can say that. Um, <laughs> and we are, I promise you. And you that go to uh, Brazil, if you've never been out of the country, the third world country, you're going to see how spoiled you really are. And you don't even know it. Um, we just are, we're pampered here, and it comes with a mindset. But, you know, some people say that when they experience great joy, or when they just simply believe in Jesus, or when they were baptized in water, that they were automatically filled with the Spirit of God. But we're going to look at what the Word says, because this is what's important. Not what I say, not what I think, it's what the Word of God says. In Acts 8 and 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and Samaria and preach Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For the unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many were taken with palsies and lame and were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So my first question, and yes, I will be grading this. Did they have great joy? Yeah, the Bible says they had great joy. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Here's my second question. Did they believe in Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. You guys are doing good. You're acing this quiz here. Okay, verse 14, and when the apostles were at Jerusalem, they heard that the Sumerians I'm not reading that. They heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent forth unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only were they baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 17. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So my, third, my fourth question is this. Did they receive the Holy Ghost as a separate and distinct experience from joy and believing? They did. They absolutely did. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 10. You know, some people believe that it's enough to be religious or to go to church. Or that uh, this, receiving the Spirit of God by the same way that they happened on the book of Acts was only for that day, for the day of Pentecost. We've heard that before. And if that's what the Bible says, then I would believe it. But if the Bible teaches otherwise, we have to follow what the Bible teaches. Acts 10 and 1 says this. 
Then there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. Now, this is a side note, but one time there was a man that preached against music using this word or using this scripture, Italian Band. And I, there's many places that preach against bad music, but this is not one of them because the Italian Band was a military band, not a music band. Okay, moving on. <laughs> He was a devout man, and one that fareth God with all of his house, which gave much alms, or that's charity, to the people, and prayed to God always. So my question is this. Was Cornelius a righteous, religious man? He was. He feared God. He gave charity. He prayed to God, not just sometimes. It says always. Um, verse 5. And I'll send men to Joppa and call for one Simon who surnames Peter. This is an angel talking to Cornelius. He lodged with one Simon a Tanner whose house was by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou ought to do. So my question for you here is, did God have more for him to do? Well, clearly, yes. The angel, if an angel speaking to you and say, go find this man, Peter, he's going to speak to you and tell you what to do. Obviously, God has more for you to do. So Peter gets there, verse 44, while Peter yet spoke these words, he wasn't even done preaching. The Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And of them, Peter brought some people with him. They were called the Jews or the circumcised. Them of the circumcision which believed were astonished. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it because they were a little prejudiced. And they couldn't believe that Gentiles could receive the same Holy Ghost that they got on the day of Pentecost. So they were shocked because it blew their mind because their mind was limited um, because the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter. Uh, verse, so did they receive the Holy Ghost and speak with tongues after the day of Pentecost? The answer is yes. And one more place in the book of Acts chapter 19. You see, the book of Acts is the only book of history we have about the church. Uh, you have the Gospels, you have the book of Acts, and you have the epistles. The epistles are written to believers. Uh, the Gospel is written about Christ, but the book of Acts is written about the history of the church. And it came to pass... Um, oh, let me, let me start this, though. Many people who believe... I, the other day I had a guy call me. And uh, he, he was offended because someone had asked him a question and said, the question was this, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? No, I thought that was pretty, um, I, don't, I didn't think that was a reason to get angry, but this man was not happy about it. Um, and I said, well, I get it that you, don't, you didn't like it because he felt judged. He felt like people were judging him. Well, you're saying I don't have the Holy Ghost. I said, but it is a question that's in the Bible. And I think we should all ask ourselves that. And if the answer is yes, then it's yes. But if it's no, then it's no. There's nothing wrong with the question, per se. Um, but many people believe that... Um, many people... Excuse me, let me say this. Many people believe in Christ, but they've never even heard of, of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost as an experience or as uh, maybe speaking other tongues or anything. Like, I was one of these people. I never heard of that. No one ever told me about that. I never saw, I mean, you see it in the scripture, but I never heard of it before. Uh, some people say it's not important, it's not necessary. Uh, some would say also it doesn't matter how you're baptized. But I'm going to look at Acts chapter 19. I'm mo mostly focusing on um, 
on this, um, the evidence of the Holy Ghost tonight, but, but baptism's in here too. Uh, and it came to pass, they were believers, but, or excuse me, let me read it. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding a certain disciples, he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So there's the question. And they said unto him, we have not so much as even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. I mean, we heard about John and what he prophesied, but we hadn't even heard that it's been fulfilled, that it's happened, that it's come to pass. And so Paul asked, oh, before I get to that, they were believers, but had they heard or received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The answer is no. I'll do it for you. I'm helping you. I got a cheat sheet here. Okay. Acts 19 and 3. And he said unto them, then what were you baptized? How were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized under John's baptism. This is John the Baptist. This was not the apostle John. This is John the Baptist. He, he baptized in the name of repentance as a preparation for uh, the Messiah. But even he said, he who comes after me is greater than I, whose shoes I cannot even untie. And, and that is speaking of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts 19.3 or 4, Paul answers. And he said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, which is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, and so the question is this. Did those that were baptized by John the Baptist, were they rebaptized in the name of Jesus? And the answer is yes, because the power is in the name. Now I can prove this to you. Now, if I told you I was going to write you a check for a million dollars, would you want that? Would you like that? Okay, but what if I wrote it and I put on the, on the, me, or on the, on the main part, but who it's to, I filled it out as father and I gave it to you. What are you going to do with that check? If I put repentance on there, what are you going to do with that check? You see, you need your name on that line for you to go to that bank and cash it. And so there is power in the name. The name of Jesus is the name that the angel spoke to Mary and said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's Jehovah has become our salvation is literally what his name means. And so there's power in the name. And that's why it says in the last days, you're going to be hated in all the nations for my name's sake. Let me tell you, my friend, the world's going to hate you because they hate Jesus. And if you hold on to his name, they're gonna they're going to come against you because they don't like his name you know why this world sold out to satan and the name of jesus is greater than anything satan has and so he wants that name to be forgotten about he wants that name to be uh, done away with he, he wants you to water it down if you if you just would water it down and just pray in like the generic term god or something he might be okay with it. but don't you dare say jesus christ because that makes him tremble if thou believe in one god thou doest well for the devil also believes and trembles and so i want to remind him every day I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been filled with his spirit and I'm never the same. I serve Jesus and I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I went down in that water as a covenant relationship with my God, Jesus Christ. And I know, listen, when I was, when, when I was married, I know it's 100 years ago now, but when I was married, my wife took on my name. And there's something special to that. And when we're married to Christ, we take on Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ on our soul. Amen? Amen. And verse 6. 
And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all the men there were about 12. So did these men also speak with tongues when they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The answer is yes. Now I'm going to go through a couple more things before I close. Now there's a lot more in this little Bible study. I just wanted to go through that little part because it connects with me. But um, just give me like 10 minutes. I won't go longer than 10 minutes. Last year I went to... uh, Martha's Vineyard, and I went to a outdoor tent tabernacle that was set up in 1840s. They have had revival there since the 18, or the word revival is not right. They've had camp meetings there since the 1840s till today. They've never missed a year that I know of. And I was standing there. I didn't know about it. I just stood there. I've got pictures of it. I was just in awe. I was thinking about all these great revivals right here. Obviously, they weren't there in the first two, but I was thinking about just the power of the great revivals in America. The first Great Awakening, where a nation turned to God. The second Great Awakening, where a nation turned to God. And then the third Great Awakening, and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in America. And uh, I just got some quick slides of some things, but I won't go into all this. Um, but it's going to lead me to what I, story I started. Um, but as I turned the corner... I was shocked by the sign that they had on the church today, and it was the rainbow flag. As this church has turned woke from the culture of the biblical Christ to woke culture. culture. And I remember standing there, and my heart sunk. And I'll never forget, it was a life-changing moment. God put me there. God put me there, I promise you. I shouldn't have been there. God put me there. And my heart sunk. And I thought, how? How? How could it go from great, powerful moves of God to this? How? How? They never stopped having camp meetings, but somewhere along the line, their heart slipped far away from God until it was more uh, important to be politically correct than it was to be biblically correct. I think they got away from the power of God. I think they got away from repentance. I think they got away from baptism and burying the old man. I think they started just adding, you know, the itching ears. Just tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Tell me about heaven. And somewhere along the way, they lost the spirit of God. And all they've got is the spirit of man to dictate what they're going to preach and teach and what they're going to do. But my friend, the apostolic church can't afford that. There better be a hungry soul, uh, hungry souls of men and women. They're going to rise up and say, no, no, no. If everyone turns away from Jesus Christ I will not I'm going to stand if I got to stand alone I don't care because I need to be saved I'm seeking him with fear and trembling because this world's going to pass away but everything that he that he's written and he's done is going to be for eternity and so it does matter are we saved is our confidence written is it is it in the word of God as the word of God has taught it I think it's important. I've mean, I had so many people tell me this doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. They all got excited. Brother, you're like this. First time I felt the Holy Ghost. They told me, oh, they were just excited. You just felt the, the emotion in the room. I thought, well, maybe. I'll go back and find out. <laughs> I don't remember going back and Brother Lord gave the altar and I was just a teenager and I put my hands up and uh, Brother Lord laid his hands on me and praying for me. And I remember I felt the power of God hit me. And I was like, this is no 
emotion that's in the room. This is God and God alone. So they came back, all 40 of them, independently. These were all different backgrounds, some Baptists, some Methodists, some um, Episcopalian. I don't know if there's any Catholics there, but um, they're just all different denominations. And they came up, and they all came back, and they said, there's only one evidence that we can find in Scriptures that's consistent every time the Holy Ghost was poured out. And that is the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so... They decided they were going to pray until it happened. Because it wasn't that they just wanted a a doctrinal stance that, okay, we're just going to write some doctrinal paper. That wasn't what they were interested in. If they, they came to the conclusion, if speaking in other tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost, if we're right, and if it's in the Bible, and the Bible's right, then that can happen today. In this hour, because the Bible's alive and it's real. And if it happened then, it can happen now. And if it's the evidence of the Holy Ghost, well, God still wants people to have the Holy Ghost today. And so they begin what you always have to do when you, when you begin to seek God. You start prayer meetings. Always happen. Every revival starts in prayer meeting. If we're going to have revival in this church, it's going to be because people pray. That's the only reason why. If you're going to have revival in your family, it's going to be because your family prayed. If you're going to have family in a, a revival in a state, it's going to be because the state prayed. And so they begin to pray, and they begin to fast, and they begin to say, okay, God, if this is your word, then, then make it happen. Let it happen. Let us experience it. We want, to, we want to know, but we're here, God. We're going to repent of our sins, and we're going to seek your face, and we're going to ask you, God, to do what only you can do. And so... They had their first prayer meeting December 31st, 1900, as it turned 1901. That night, nothing much happened. <laughs> they prayed. They rung in the new year. They were so hungry. They said, let's come back tonight. Let's pray. You know, sometimes God will just test you. How hungry really are you? And so January 1st, 1901, they begin to pray. And there was a lady there. And there she is in this picture as an older person. Her name was Agnes um, Osman. I don't believe she was with the band. Um, it's a joke. Okay. <laughs> it's not even spelled the same. <laughs> she was 30 years old. She was part of this Bible college. And that night, she said, you know what? I saw in those scripture how Peter and Paul laid hands on them. And so she requested people to lay hands on them, on her, and pray for her. Pray that I would have the same experience as the book of Acts. And she said this later, quoting, As if hands were laid upon my head, that the Holy Spirit fell upon me, I began to speak with tongues and glorify God. She said, I talked in several languages and it was clearly manifested when a new dialect was spoken. I had the added joy and glory my heart longed for in the depth of presence of my Lord within that I had never before known. It was as if rivers of living water were proceeding from my innermost being. The report was that she couldn't speak English for three days after that experience. My friend, this was a real experience with a real lady that said, I'm going to test the Bible. I'm going to see if it's true. None other 39 of the others wanted that same experience. Later on, they began to pray until individually each one began to receive the same experience. 
He went down to Houston, Texas. He began to preach there. And all of a sudden, many people begin to get filled with the same experience. There was a, uh, an African-American gentleman, an African-American lady named Lucy Farrell and William Seymour. Long story, but I'm going to tell you short, very short, because I don't, I've got one minute and 30 seconds. They went to Los Angeles and they started a prayer meeting on Bonnie Bray Street in a house. The reason was only to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. After they prayed, fasted, and sought God, they began to have a revival that night in, in that house. It was just an ordinary house in the, in the, in the suburbs of a city. They began to have revival. It filled all their front rows, filled their porch, and their, one day their porch collapsed. They estimate 13,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost there on Bonnie Bray Street at that prayer meeting. It was just a prayer meeting, day after day after day. They moved to a place called Azusa Street, where an estimated 50,000 people walked into that broken up building. I wish I had time to tell you that story. Nothing fancy, nothing shiny. In fact, it was such a disgraceful building, they just tore it down. Uh, it was nothing to salvage. And yet 50,000 people from all over the United States and all over the world went to that church to seek the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you this, my friend. It's real. It's real. It's in the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something else I've experienced in my own life. I know a lot of people deny it that have never received it. But I'm going to tell you it's real. And I'm going to tell you furthermore, it's what this nation needs to combat the darkness, the evil, the wickedness, all of the, the trans wokeness and all of the, the, the anti-God sentiment that's pushing against everything that's biblical and moral and everything this country is built upon. And I'm going to tell the Apostolic Church, it's not time to go to sleep and, and yawn at the message that I, that I mentioned about tonight. It's time to get excited. It's the time to go tell someone about it, that they can have the power and the promise of the Father they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they can be transformed in the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, would you stand with me tonight? Would you lift your hands tonight? Oh, God, how ya. God, I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. I thank you, God, for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your ways. I thank you for your anointing, oh God. I thank you for the baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight. I thank you, oh God, for what you're going to do in this hour. You said your spirit's going to fill, fill the entire globe. You said it's going to go forth, oh God. You said in the book of Joel, the latter rain and the former reign together in the name of Jesus. God, I lift you up and I praise you, oh God. And I want to tell you this, this power is more powerful than any temptation or sin that's come against you. Young person, get a hold of the Lord. You can break those, those sinful nature that's coming against you, those temptations. Get a hold of the Lord. Let the, let the Holy Ghost be red hot fire in your life and in your bedroom. Amen. My friend, it's time to seek God in this church. It's time to seek God in your life. It's time to let that promise of the Father rise up and dominate who you are. 
are and how you think and, and how you pray. Aren't you tired of dead, dry, boring prayers as you fall asleep and it un- it's unmoving? Aren't you ready for the power of God, the fire of God, the rivers of life to flow? He said, I'm giving you the promise. I'm giving you the promise. I'm giving you the promise. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. 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 I feel the Lord in this house. If anybody needs prayer, I'm going to open these altars up tonight. We'll pray for you. If anybody here wants the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we'll pray for you tonight. And by the Spirit of God, 